Well, amen. Good morning, church family. Man, it is so good to be together with you today as we uh, just come together as a church uh, and worship God and proclaim who he is through song uh, as we remember Christ and his work um, through the powerful uh, gift of communion together um, as we proclaim that he is coming back. It's just an amazing time uh, to gather together um, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve on our teaching team. And man, we've been walking through this letter, uh, this New Testament letter called Second Peter or Two Peter, whichever your preference. Um, and it has been just incredibly uh, fascinating to see the way that God, uh, the divine author of scripture, works uniquely through a human author like Peter at a unique time to speak into exactly what the church needed uh, in that day and age. And for 2000 years, it's remained 100% applicable uh, to our everyday story and to our everyday lives. Isn't that great? Like how good the word of God uh, is to us. It's such a gift. And we love here at Mosaic to uh, travel through scripture, uh, kind of chunk by chunk, section by ch uh, section. In 2006, we made a wild decision uh, to start in Genesis and to preach all the way through the book of Revelation. And we are just now in Second Peter. Uh, and so we've got probably quite a few more years to go uh, in this journey. But it's been just such an incredible thing uh, to see how each one of these letters unfolds a little bit uniquely, a little bit differently, uh, telling the same macro story of who Jesus is and what he's done, but in unique ways. As we have journeyed through Second Peter together, uh, we've just been able to, to marvel at the beauty of God's grace uh, being revealed in and through this letter. In fact, uh, we have dubbed Second Peter a grace sandwich, um, which, you know, during the 1117 gathering is liable to get us hungry, right? Um, we could start dreaming about Chick-fil-A, which is unfortunately closed on Sundays. Um, but how many of you guys love a good Chick-fil-A sandwich? Anybody here in the house? Oh, yeah, sanctified chicken. Oh, thank you, Lord, for Truett Cathy. He was a gift to the universe. And, uh, and, and, you know, when you think about a sandwich, it's like one of those things you take a bite out of and, and you eat the whole thing all at once, right? Like, it would be strange to go through the trouble of making a sandwich and, like, pick out one little item at a time and eat that. Uh, how many of you guys do that with the Chick-fil-A pickle? Anybody do that? You weirdos. I love you. Okay. So, so we're, we're in this grace sandwich and what we do here on Sunday mornings is we go kind of chunk by chunk through the scriptures together. And my encouragement to you, if you've not done this yet up to this point, if, you're, if you've been walking through this letter with us, my encouragement is to just, man, it's three chapters. Read it over and over and over and over again uh, and, and look at the beauty of God's grace as you read through it. Um, but what we do on Sunday mornings, we kind of dig into one chunk at a time and we kind of maybe pull the pickle out, look at it, shake it a little bit, stick it back in there, right? And then we take a bite of the sandwich. And that's what we're doing here today. I, I actually texted uh, Brady this week. I said, hey, out of curiosity, what part of the sandwich do you think that we're biting today? Like, what are, what are we actually in? Because we're towards the end uh, of Second Peter together in chapter three today. And he said, I think it's probably the, the top part of the bottom bun. So for all you carb lovers in the house, you're welcome. We're gonna be in the bottom bun today. But really the sandwich is just a metaphor, um, but it's an important metaphor because uh, it is such an invitation from God uh, to, to, to dive deeply and to dig into what he has for us today. I have a daughter 
Uh, she's four years old. Her name is Haddon. She's got red hair and she's got the personality to go with it. And uh, you got to love like how kids go through phases and they kind of uh, will, you know, be great eaters in one phase and terrible eaters in another. And right now she's in the phase of like, she just snacks. That's all she wants to do. She just wants to graze throughout the day. So if we go through the trouble of preparing any food for, for her, it ends up like we give it to our chickens. Um, and, and because for some reason, if it's a meal, she refuses to eat it. So we would prepare her uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and, uh, you know, give it to her and watch her reject it over and over again. And as our grocery bill continued to increase, we're like, we gotta do something different uh, than this because she's just wasting our money, which is, you know, kids are good at that. And, <laughs> and so, you know, today I was thinking about, you know, this grace sandwich that we get to be a part of uh, here together today and, and the offer that God gives us to partake in his goodness. And I, I just wanna encourage you today, like, don't be like my four-year-old daughter and, and push the plate back uh, as God offers his grace to you today. I mean, the reality is, is uh, we've been working on this sermon as a team and as a teaching team and prepping and preparing and uh, considering what, what it is God has uh, for us today. And, and I could do all the preparation in the world and I could present it to you on a platter and I could tell you how good the sandwich is until I'm blue in the face. But until you reach out and actually take a bite and savor the sandwich, it's not gonna be for you what it's meant to be. So today, God is offering his grace to you through the letter of 2 Peter. And I wanna encourage and challenge each and every one of us. Let's take a big old bite together today. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're gonna dig into God's word today. So open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, I'm gonna kind of set a little bit of context before we dig right into our passage together uh, because we're starting off in verse 11. Um, but that first word in verse 11 is the word since. Since, what do you think that that gives us a clue uh, to do? Let, let's go back, right? It's kind of a therefore. It's like a, you gotta know what the therefore is there for. Since, is, it's in the same, it's like a cousin to therefore. So if you see since when you're studying scripture, that's, that's a good key to go back and look at what comes uh, before. And, and what Paul is doing is he's, uh, he's speak, or Paul, <laughs> second Peter. Guys, here's the thing. Uh, I, I, my role has changed a bit here at Mosaic. I don't preach as often as I used to. And uh, when I used to preach a lot, like we were in Pauline epistles for years, right? And so it was just like a default. I could just say, you know, Paul's saying this, Paul's saying that. But guys, don't listen. If I say that, that is not true. And I do not intend to be a false teacher today because we know that's not a good thing. All right. So uh, what Peter is saying by the spirit of God as he works through uh, him, uh, Peter has been pointing out some of the characteristics of what these false teachers uh, are kind of up to. And one of the things he talks about is this idea that scoffers are going to scoff right? Um, and, and the scoffers that are going to scoff, which is true, right? Like, you know, scoffers going to scoff, haters going to hate, right? Like that's kind of the phrase. And so Peter's saying, look, scoffers going to scoff. And the way that they were scoffing in particular is they were saying, Jesus promised that he would come back. And here we are, we're around 61, 62 AD at this time. Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended around 30, 33-ish AD, depending on how you do your math, Right? And so it's been three decades or so since uh, Jesus has died, resurrected, ascended, and said, I'm going to return. 
And these scoffers, scoffers be scoffing, are saying, hey, uh, where is the sign of his coming? Where is Jesus? Where is this promise of his coming fulfilled? It has not yet been fulfilled. And so they're, they're, they're kind of poking into the faithfulness of God and saying, maybe he's not uh, who you think uh, he is. And, and they're uh, their temptation that they were kind of bringing to the table was this idea that we can kind of live our lives uh, in that light, in the, in the reality that maybe Jesus actually isn't really gonna return. Um, and maybe you can kind of just like do your life the way you want to do your life because this whole, I'm gonna return and you know judge the living and the dead and all this kind of stuff is like, maybe that's just kind of nonsense or foolishness. And Peter is saying, listen, don't listen to those scoffers. Don't listen to people who are looking at the reality that three decades or, oh, I don't know, 2,000 years have gone by and Jesus has not returned. How many of you guys have ever run into someone who's like, yeah, that was a long time ago. You know, if Jesus was gonna come back, surely he would have done it by now. But what does Peter say? He said, don't consider, first of all, God doesn't think of time the way we do. So let's like set the deck right there. But even beyond that, let's not consider God's, slowness as you might count it slow, recognize that it's actually patience, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here's the reality. If God was not patient all the way back in 61, 62 AD at the time of this writing, guess how many of us would have existed? Zero of us, right? Good guess. That was not hard mathematics, right? None of us would have existed. And so God's patience with those who have been on earth for all of these 2000 years is our benefit that we got to live life on this earth, (laughs) that we got to be born on planet earth. And beyond that, even more importantly than being born and having an existence is that you and I, if we're here in this place, we have been exposed to who Jesus is, that we've heard the gospel, we've heard the good news of who Jesus is. And so what Peter is saying is God's not slow, he's patient. And he's giving us opportunities to know who he is and to hear the good news of what he's done and to believe and put our trust in him. And so what Peter is saying is, it's actually a really good thing that Jesus has not yet returned for your sake. And it's true 2000 years later, just like it was true when it was written. Isn't that beautiful? And so Peter is setting the stage and he's saying, listen, people are going to scoff at the plan of God, but the reality is the plan of God has been set in motion and it will come to pass. And he's spoken to this idea that, uh, you know, he's being patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then in verse 10, he says this, he said, but the day of the Lord will come. Everybody say, will come. That's a promise. The day of the Lord will come. How will it come? Like a thief in the night. So it's going to come kind of quick. Now, I'm just going to push pause for just a moment, and I'm going to share a little bit with you about my childhood. So I grew up in church. I grew up in youth group, you know, and there were these movies that uh, they use in my youth group as an evangelism tool uh, called A Thief in the Night. Anybody ever seen that? Do yourselves a favor and check that Goldie out on YouTube, okay? Uh, Because they were terrifying. Um, And basically it was about uh, like in the end times, there's going to be this one world government and there's going to be like a tattoo they want to put on your forehead. And that's, that's going to be how it's going to go. And everybody who doesn't take the mark of the beast, they're going to get their head cuts off, uh, heads cut off, right? That was the plot line of the movie. So for any middle school boy, I'm like, where's the altar? I'd like to get saved now, right? 
And, and that was kind of this idea that like, man, it, it, you know, uh, Jesus' return is, it's gonna kind of try to trick you. It's gonna try to shock you. It's gonna catch you by surprise in, in a bad way. Uh, and it's gonna come to almost to hurt you. And what Peter is saying is he's saying is, look, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And, and so what Peter is saying ought to be, maybe not scary, but sobering. It should be sobering for us to recognize that the day will come, that Jesus will return and everything that's ever happened on this earth will be exposed ought to be sobering for everyone, including those who know Jesus, including those of us who our sins are forgiven. Our righteousness is in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, as if we could boast about that. And yet at the same time, Peter is saying, listen, when Jesus returns, there is going to be something that will take place that will expose what is often considered hidden because maybe people aren't aware of it or people don't know of it or maybe things that have been done, uh, people just haven't taken notice or whatever it may be. And what Peter is saying is, listen, the day is going to come and we ought to live our lives in light of it. And so in the grace sandwich that we're in, we're in kind of that, that bottom half of the bun and it's really a response to God's grace. And what Peter begins with in verse 11 is that word since. And he's saying, look, in light of that, since verse 11, all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And I'm gonna pause there for a moment. So Peter is saying, listen, because Jesus is going to return and because when he returns, there is going to be a consuming fire that will expose all of the things that have been hidden on this earth throughout all of time and human history. Since that is the case, you ought to live lives in light of that. And here we are in 2023 and we live in a world where scoffers be scoffing, right? And people are looking and saying, you know, that, that was 2000 years ago. That was so ancient. Jesus, he's not really returning. You know, you, you don't need to live your lives in light of that. Religion is just to control people. Like all of the narratives that come out of our world, right? And meanwhile, the world is handing us on its own little platter rather than a grace sandwich. It's handing us a worldly dream. Here in our cultural context, we call it the American dream, right? It's handing us this way of living, this way to pursue life, this way to be, this way to live, which kind of sounds a lot like, hey, uh, we're all products of random chance. We've just been lucked into the universe. Uh, we've hit some sort of cosmic lottery that of all the things that we could have been uh, you know, in this universe, we're not just like a moon rock or, you know, a piece of space dust or a dust particle or a, an animal like a lizard or a cockroach. God forbid, those things are so gross, right? Uh, we're, not, we're not a dog or a cat. We're not any of those. We're human beings, right? 
And the world says basically, hey, you know, you, you hit the lottery, right? So live your life. You've only got a few, a few years on this planet. So live your life. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die, right? And that really is the, the ethos of the world. That is the message that the world is giving to us, which is this idea that, hey, uh, you and your life doesn't really have any uh, actual value or worth. You don't truly matter other than what DNA you provide to the universe and what you do to, you know, uh, the people around you. Some, some people, if you do good things for them, they'll appreciate that. But really, you don't have a, a whole lot of value or worth. So do everything you can to enjoy everything you've got while you've got it, because when it's over, it is over. That's what the world says. Am I right? I have it about right. And, and yet Peter is handing us this grace sandwich and saying, hey, take a bite of this because it's so much bigger than that. There's so much more. And so since all these things are thus, Jesus is gonna re return. And yes, the end is that all of the things that we experience in this life will eventually be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be? Well, he tells us <laughs> that we're the sort of people that ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. That our response as followers of Jesus to the actual good news of who he is and what he's done, and what he's doing, is knowing that one day he truly will return. And, and when he returns, there is going to be a, a a reality that is going to change everything. And we're gonna to get to that here in a few minutes. But in light of that reality, we ought to live our lives a certain way. And Peter says, we ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. Now, holiness, that concept, God says and calls us to be holy as he is holy, right? And what God is, is doing here is he's inviting us to live his way. And, and holiness is a, a very simple way to just say, that we're set apart, that we're different, that we're other than. And God is holy. He's set apart. He's different. He's other than. There's no one like him. But as people, as his followers, we're called to be set apart and different. We should look different than people around us. And when he ties these two ideas together of holiness and godliness, it should bring us back to chapter one of 2 Peter. In chapter one of 2 Peter, if you want to flip back, start in verse 5. And it'll remind us of kind of what he's talking about. He's saying for this very reason, uh, and, and there is a reason there that, that Jesus has invited us to become partakers of the divine, divine nature. That's the very reason. So for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter paints a picture of what this life that we should be living in light of Jesus' return should look like. It should look like a life that is set apart and different from the world and presses into all of the qualities that are ours in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so because Jesus has lived a perfect life, he's been our example. He has died a, sin, a, a death where he became sin, who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He's ascended at, at the right hand of the Father and he sent the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And because that is ours, because of that, we 
have been invited to participate in becoming more and more and more like him every day that we live and breathe on this earth. That, that we are actively participating in becoming more like him. And we don't do that on our own strength. We do that by his grace. We don't do that on our own. We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is an active participation in joining with him in what he has already promised to do. And what has he promised to do? He promised to complete the work that he started in us, right? So there's a paradox that God has promised to complete the work that he started. It's whose work? His work, right? And he's invited us to participate. That God is the one who is going to do it, but we participate in the journey. What a beautiful paradox, right? And then he takes us into another paradox. He says, living lives of holiness and godliness, while we do what? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So we are called as followers of Jesus to simultaneously wait for the coming and also hasten the coming. So at the same time, he's calling us to be patient as we wait, and yet at the same time, proactively hasten his coming. Now, what did Jesus say about the day that he would come? What did he say? The father knows, right? The father knows, and there's so much we could get into with Christology and the nature of God and Jesus being the God man, and he's speaking according to his human nature, and there's a divine nature, and of course, God knows all things. We could get into all of that, right? But the point is, is that there is a day or an hour in the mind of God where God knows the day that he's going to return, right? So that is part of his sovereign plan. That is part of his sovereign will. He is omniscient and he knows what his plan is and what his will is. He's not discovering it as we go, right? He's not learning as we go. God knows all things. He's omniscient. But at the same time, he's invited us to participate with him in the hastening of his coming. Isn't that wild? And there are some things that scripture teaches and, and we're not gonna get crazy into eschatology and end times theology and all of that in this moment. But it's important for us to recognize there are a couple of things that scripture points to in terms of things that will take place in the unfolding of the story and in, and in the unfolding of the plan that, that will be a part of what it looks like for Jesus to return. And one of those things, a major part of those things is that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all nations. And then what? Then the end will come. That's right, Leslie. She studies her Bible. Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all nations. And so then the end will come. And so there's an element in which that while we are waiting, that we're actively awaiting the coming of Jesus, but we're also hastening his coming as we actively participate in living lives of godliness and living lives of holiness, which will allow people around us to look in on us and say, huh, something's different about that person. What's different about you? And this is why we are called to always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have, right? Because as we live lives that are set apart and different, people are going to notice, now, scoffers are going to scoff because scoffers be scoffing. We know that, right? But people are, always, are also going to notice our lives of godliness and holiness, that we're different, that we're set apart. And so 
simultaneously, as we engage in the work of sanctification or becoming more like Jesus, engaging in uh, the the process of, of being set apart and becoming more godly, that there is a gospel witness that takes place as a result of that. That we participate in the preaching of the gospel by the lives that we live. And so there's this gospel demonstration that takes place in our lives as we engage in the work of becoming more like Jesus. So that's beautiful. And it goes beyond that, that that we, as we serve one another, as we engage on mission together corporately as the church, that we become more and more and more like that bride that Jesus is gonna come back for, which is a pure and a spotless bride. And so together we engage with one another and participate with one another and serve one another and serve our community in ways that, that lead people to Jesus. And we participate in the expansion of the kingdom. We participate in the forward movement of the gospel. So here today, I see all these Mosaic Kids shirts. Why don't you just, let's stand up. If you got a Mosaic Kids shirt, just stand up, stand up because we love you and we thank you so much for what you do. You guys are amazing, amazing, amazing. You guys can have a seat. And and during, uh, the reason why they're wearing those Mosaic Kids shirts and they're sitting here in this gathering is that they have chosen to participate by serving in the 9 a.m. gathering so that kids could be a part uh, of uh, uh, hearing the gospel, hearing the love of Jesus, knowing about God, being discipled and cared for. And so then parents can actually hear the preaching of the gospel, participate in worship without their kids trying to suck the life out of them, right? And so that's a beautiful thing. And for those of you who kids are in the room, that's okay too. We love that as well. Kids, don't suck the life out of your parents and eat the sandwiches that they prepare for you, okay? But what a beautiful picture of participating in kingdom work, participating in godliness and holiness, participating with one another, the church becoming the church as we serve one another, whether it's kids and kids ministry or how many blue shirts are in the house? Blue shirts. Let's give it up for the blue shirts. How many of you guys love the donuts, the coffee? the open doors, the smiles, the waters as you come in. So many ways that our our Blue Shirt or our Connect team serves us here at Mosaic. And man, man, this morning I got a text from Zach, our worship pastor. Uh, It was like in the six o'clock hour he was texting me about this morning. And I knew that the worship team, they were already up rehearsing. They were here. They were checking sound. We had a production team that, were, that was uh, running sound and uh, setting all of the, the environment here and lights and, and uh, slides and everything else that we need. Like we together every single Sunday come and gather while we serve one another so that the gospel can be preached, that we can worship together, that we can share communion with one another so that we can be encouraged mutually, stirred up. You hear us talk about this all the time, stirred up towards love and good deeds. And we come together, we gather together as a church. It's like an inhale. And then we scatter like an exhale. And it's a rhythm that the church has been doing for 2000 years, gathering together on the Lord's day, worshiping him, gathering together throughout the week, meeting in homes, meeting in classes, doing what we do and then scattering into our neighborhoods, scattering into our workplace, scattering to wherever God may call us. And that's just here locally. And God calls us to engage beyond our local community, but into the world, to people who are not like us, into other nations, where they have other governments and politics, 
where they have other rules and, and other culture, where they have a lack of access to the gospel. And so we participate. So when you engage here, whether it's through your time or your energy or through giving, through generosity, through sacrificially allowing the resources that God has entrusted to you to be given to the work of the kingdom through your church, what that looks like is now we are fueled and empowered to take the gospel to the ends of the earth through our local and our global partnerships all over the world. I got Elias and Tanisha, they're getting ready to go to South Africa. They're gonna go be on mission there. Just sitting right here like, thank you. You're gonna take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's amazing. Like, how cool is that? And we all participate in that together. That this is a work that not one of us does, but we all do together. It's not just Renault. We like him, he's tall, you know, whimsical accent. Nobody knows where he's from, okay? <laughs> but it's not just, if it was just Renault doing the work, gosh, what a tragedy that would be but we all together participate in lives of holiness and godliness. And we do that waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And I love it. It's not waiting like sitting there looking at your watch, looking at the clock, you know, watching the days, weeks, months, and years go by, just count down to eternity, you know, just here till I take my last breath. No, that we actively wait and we hasten the coming of the day of God. What a privilege. Peter continues, he says, because of which, what? The day of the Lord, because of this day of the Lord that is coming, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But now, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, this is a grace sandwich, people. It is full of grace. And as we think about like, I don't know, the earth burning and melting, right? It doesn't feel like grace. Can we just be honest about that for a second? Like, oh, grace sandwich, fire, you know? It doesn't feel like grace when we think about it, but let's just step back for a moment and consider this for just a second. How many of you guys are tired of sin? Anybody? How many of you are tired of your own sin? I saw more hands on that one. Wow. What a beautiful grace it is that though today we actively wait, though today we struggle to engage in holiness and godliness because we live in a world that is constantly selling us a lie, we struggle. I struggle. Paul talks about this, that there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit, right? Like I, I know who God has recreated me to be once to be the kind of person who is kind in every circumstance, even when I'm offended, but often I'm not that way. I, I wanna be because of the spirit inside of me, the kind of person that sacrificially lays my life down for my wife and my children without having to be asked and does it with a joyful heart. But ask my wife and my children, there's some distance between where I wanna be and where I'm at, right? Anybody can relate to that? And we live in this reality of this already not yet where Jesus has already come, he's already lived, he's already died, he's already resurrected, he's already ascended, he's already sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to become like him and to live on mission for him. 
and he's not yet returned, but there will be a day. That day is coming. And when it comes, there will be a revealing of what, what has taken place on this planet. And for you and I to be aware of that, that ought to be what? Sobering for our lives. We ought to be thinking about the words we say and the things that we think and the ways that we act toward one another with the desires of our hearts, all of the things that we struggle with on a daily basis to just recognize that there is a day coming and all of that stuff is gonna be revealed, revealed. And in that revealing, it ought to sober us to say, God, I need your help to live the life that you've called me to live because I can't do it on my own. But when I see Jesus face to face, I don't want a whole heaping pile of just sin and self-indulgence and all of the things that the, the enemy tempts me with every day. I, I don't want a heaping pile of that to just be burned up like dross. Instead, I want to engage right now, here and now, today, along with you, my church, in living this life that is full of holiness and godliness, not by my own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, so that as we participate together, there are all of these works, as scripture teaches, that will come through the fire like pure gold, and we'll be able to come out on the other side that we can present to Jesus and say, this is how I responded to your grace in my life. How many of you want that story? I do. I hope you do too. The sandwich is in front of you. Please eat it. <laughs> Don't ignore it. What an invitation it is. And that invitation comes with a promise, verse 13. But, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And there's a passage of scripture that is so hopeful to me. And I want us to turn there together because a lot of times as we consider the reality that, that 2000 years have gone by and Jesus has still not returned, there's this reality that, man, it just seems like so far off. It's, it's just so hard to know when is he gonna come? And in the dailiness of our lives with our to-do list and our checklists and our responsibilities and the struggles and the frustrations and everything that we deal with, so often we're looking down at what's going on in front of us and we just need to look up and look out and say, God, what have you promised and what is coming? And be encouraged by that. Revelation 21 says this. This is the apostle John that's given a glimpse of the future, given a glimpse of eternity, given a glimpse of what we have coming, given a glimpse of what we are holding on to, giving a glimpse of how we are to be actively waiting and, and, and hastening the coming of this day. He gives us a glimpse, a taste, a foretaste of what it's gonna be like when Jesus finally returns and what he's going to do in the midst of that. In Revelation 21, John says this, he says, then, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with 
man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus, I thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. I thank you that you're with us now and you're going to be with us tangibly and palpably for all of eternity. Jesus, I thank you that you will be at the center of the city. And God, I just pray that you would allow that promise and that truth to encourage us today as we struggle in the midst of this planet, this planet that is still full of sin, our lives that still struggle with sin. God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us and move us to look to you and to look to your coming with joy, with anticipation, and that we would desire to participate with you in the hastening of your coming. God, what a beautiful paradox. So help us, God, to be the church that you've called us to be in the ways that we participate with one another, the way we serve one another, the way we give our lives, the way we give our resources, the way we give all of the things that you've given to us as a response to your grace. And God, as the world looks in on this church and on the church, I pray God that they would look in and say, there is something different and beautiful about those people. And I wanna know him. I wanna know him because Jesus, that something is you. You are that someone that is different about us. So God, help us to press into you every single day so that you would be revealed. God, we just thank you that all of this beautiful invitation has been extended to us because of the work of Jesus. Jesus, what you've done in your life, death, resurrection, ascension, and what you will do in your return, it is breathtaking. God, help us, help us, help us to look at that and at you more than we look at what the world is offering to us. So much so that what the world offers to us is nothing in comparison to you. God, help us to participate. Help us to live lives of godliness and holiness as we hasten the day, as we participate with you. God, we're grateful. We're thankful. We look to you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.